and welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and I'm delighted that joining us for our policy deep dive is Carrie Lucas, president of Independent Women's Forum and author of this month's policy focus, Avoiding Paid Leave Pitfalls. We'll discuss why making the emergency COVID paid leave benefits permanent will undermine existing benefits, raise taxes and reduce wages for poor workers, and limit women's employment opportunities. But before we bring her on, a little bit more about Carrie Lucas. As I mentioned, she is the president of Independent Women's Forum. She is also the co-author of Liberty is No War on Women and the author of the Politically Incorrect Guide to Women, Sex, and Feminism. She is a contributor to National Review, Forbes.com, and Acculturated, and is the vice president for policy and economics at Independent Women's Voice. Carrie, a pleasure to have you on She Thinks today. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. And I want to let everybody know if they're interested in reading this policy focus called Avoiding Paid Leave Pitfalls, do go to IWF.org. You can check it out there. But Carrie, why don't you first of all just start by explaining to us what is the definition of paid leave and how many workers had access to paid leave through their employer prior to COVID? Yeah, you know, I, that's really, I, I appreciate you kind of taking that um, that big picture look because I do think that often this is a concept or a, a, a topic that is a little bit misunderstood. That you know, it's a paid leave is the term that is basically any time you are receiving time away from work, um, but are still being paid as if you are working. So this is your vacation time when you um, your sick leave um, and time off for maternity and for taking for what the, what they call family leave. Uh, now some workers and some companies offer. Um, specific, you know, 10 days of sick leave or kind of specific what we call silos of different types of leave. Um, but the, the good news is, is that a growing number of workers, I mean, of, of workers and companies um, have paid leave, that they are offering paid leave benefits in some form or, or the other. The vast majority, about eight, more than 80% of, of working, um, of people working for a private company do have access to some kind of, of paid time off. Um, and it's, it's amazing, you know, it, when you think about this over the over recent years, um, there's also even been an explosion in the amount of paid leave um, and paid time off that is um, that is enjoyed by um, for part time workers. And, you know, part time workers are one of those you don't expect there to be as many um, benefits um, provided since it isn't the same kind of robust relationship. But just in the last um, 10 years, only tw- um, 28 percent of, of um, part time workers had sick leave in 2009, and that's all the way up to 43% in 2019. So we are really heading in the, in the right direction when it comes to workers um, getting access to paid leave from companies voluntarily. So that's it's important as a backdrop before we get government involved to really define the trends and where we're going and what the needs that workers actually have. Yeah, I can say from my own private company, there are only four full-time employees on the payroll, but yet everybody has vacation time, six time. We have maternity leave for those who need it. So that is something that is provided through District Media Group without government telling us to do so. So now break break it down. How has government gotten involved in this, especially during COVID? Yeah, you know, it's interesting as you say that, Beverly, because um, even something that I think is important when you can hear these numbers, um, and you'll see often the kind of, um, you'll see something that you'll find statistics out there that are used to kind of justify government action um, that, that, you know, most women do not have access 
to pay time off for maternity leave. Um, and it's actually, it's interesting when you kind of dig into the numbers, um, because while maternity leave and leave that is specific for a birth of a, a, a baby or adoption um, is still, it's not as prevalent as something like um, sick leave or paid vacation even. Um, but the thing is, is that there's still a lot of companies that allow workers to um, use their sick leave, their vacation time, um, to take up to kind of cobble together um, paid maternity leave. Um, so even, you know, even when you see some of this, this kind of the scare t- um, data that are meant to make it sound as though workers just have no rights and no, um, no benefits, um, really, you know, that's not really how most um, people, not the experience that most people have. Um, so it's, it is important because as so often happens, you know, there is a need. There are, there are people certainly who, um, who lack the support they need when they need time off from work. But when government comes in, all nuance is lost. And rather than helping just those folks who, um, who lack paid leave or need time off and, and, str- and struggle because they, aren't, they don't have it from their employers, government comes in with a one-size-fits-all policy that says, um, hey, you're going to have exactly this. You're going to, this is the benefit package that every employer has to provide to their workers. And uh, you know, that's it. Take it or leave it. Um, and this is what happened you know, during COVID. Um, it's interesting. You know, obviously, COVID kind of threw the world, <laughs> threw the world upside down and, and kind of changed the rules for everybody. Um, but with COVID, they came in and said, that basically all workers had the right to, um, gosh, I believe it was up to 12 weeks off um, for COVID-related, like if you couldn't work because of COVID. Um, for an organization like Independent Women's Forum, where we have you know, about a little more than 20 full-time workers, you know, almost all of us had um, had some kind of disruption when it comes to COVID. There's a lot of moms out there. I'm a mom with um, with five kids, all of whom um, suddenly weren't going to school anymore, and that meant they were, um, you know, poking at me when I was on the computer and made, made it harder to work. But if you know what the government was saying was that a worker like that, um, that who had school age kids, was supposed to be entirely free from work for 12 weeks while still being paid. Um, you know, gosh, that's an, a tremendous disruption. Um, and, you know, I'm fort- fortunate at the Independent Women's Forum, everybody had a really good attitude and nobody like, abused the policy. Um, we all understood that people had different disruptions and um, kind of pulled together to make things work. But for a different type of, of, um, of entity, a different type of organization, there's a lot of workers who might might be tempted to abuse that policy. Even if they weren't going to abuse it, it means that a lot of businesses simply would not be able to operate because those workers, um, they wouldn't have the staff. They couldn't function without their, their valued workers. So, um, so what I, I feel like COVID, now the question is what, what we do now. These, these policies were put in place really in a, the sense of a, at a moment of crisis. And now the question is, what are we going to do moving forward? And I really hope that Americans can um, kind of step back and realize that we can't, we should not be governed or governed as if there's always an emergency and we always need a kind of one size fits all government imposed vision of our employment contract. Uh, because, because otherwise, uh, there's tremendous consequences to this, negative consequences to this. Um, and especially there'll be negative consequences for women. And even talking about the the four 
that you were saying up to four months of somebody maybe not working, and that's a tremendous amount of disruption if, if that takes place. It's also if money, so, so some states require already for companies to pay for family leave and that money is just deducted from them. There's also the federal aspect to this, but what has this meant for companies, specifically those in states, and I know in the District of Columbia, where they are already forced to provide funds to this fund um, that they may never even have their employees draw from. Has this negatively impacted businesses having paid leave uh, mandatory payments? Um, does that harm yeah. their business? Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. It's, it's interesting. Um, there's a few things. You're right that around the country, there is a growing number of states who have their own leave regimes. And basically what this is, is all of a sudden workers are going to ha are required to pay into or companies are required to um, pay a payroll tax on behalf of workers um, that is supposed to be dedicated to provide for paid leave. And there's a few really interesting things about this. You know, number one, I feel like there's um, you know, people often you know, only see one side of the ledger when they think about um, paid leave. They say, oh, this is great. You know, people are going to have this um, this new benefit stream and it's such a win for workers. That's, that's wonderful. This is more, you know, a couple extra weeks paid time off, more time with, with kids who could be against this. Um, but then they have to look at the other side of the ledger. And, um, and sometimes that's things like, like money, right? Like, so if you're um, a worker and you're going to be losing um, your 1% or of your payroll of your compensation is suddenly going um, to a tax. You know, that's a lot of money. Um, you know, even if it's a few hundred bucks for a low-wage worker, that's a few hundred dollars of your disposable income um, every year, regardless of whether you are going to use this time off or not. Um, but there's also the, the sense that then a lot of companies that before had different types of um, of uh, had diff provided different benefits, they're very likely to say, you know what, I'm not going to offer this what I had been offering, and you can use the state leave system. Um, uh, Beverly, I bet that um, this is the kind of thing that you would think of as, as somebody running a small right. business. I know I think about this as the independent, for, as the person in charge of the budget for our nonprofit. Um, you know, suddenly, if, if you know, right now we do provide um, maternity leave, a, f a few weeks at full pay of maternity leave for women when they have a, have a child. Um, but if, if all of a sudden, if, if we were now paying a payroll tax, every worker was paying into a federal program, I would likely say, okay, guys, you know what? We're, no, our, we're not going to be providing the maternity leave that we used to, and you instead have to use this other government-provided um, paid leave um, because we're already paying into it and you should, co um, should collect that, et cetera. But that means that instead of getting full pay and then being able to kind of negotiate and talk to me about what their hopes and desires are for as they return from maternity leave, instead they would be getting exactly what the government says. So then all of a sudden you would have, um, you know, government, the government programs usually rep replace only a fraction of your take-home pay. So you'd be getting two-thirds of your pay instead of full pay for however many weeks, um, and then it's kind of a hard stop. You need to come back or your maternity leave is done, and that's, that's it. Um, so all of a sudden you have this very different and some, sometimes it is a less generous maternity leave problem. And it also, it gets in the way of conversations that, you know, sometimes there's um, a lot of gray areas where you can say, here, take this time off and you can not do these tasks, but can you participate in these three phone calls that are really important or, you know, little things like that. All of a sudden, nope, government has decided this is, this is it and this is how it's, go how it's going to be. And, um, and when you're thinking about it, what the, um, one of the interesting and I think really under, 
appreciated dynamics when it comes to these state and government programs is that when you're providing only a fraction of um, of the pay pay replacement or what they call wage replacement. So if paid leave is at a two-thirds of your salary rate instead of a full salary, a lot of people can't afford to take it. Um, and that's why places like California, where, of course, this was they, they created a state law saying, oh, this is going to be wonderful for poor um, women who don't get to take off time with their, their children. But in fact, studies have consistently shown that poorer women, that women in the lower earning, um, in the lower income brackets are much less likely than, um, than those with high incomes to be taking this benefit. So in fact, poor people are paying in and they are funding time off for rich people who frankly don't even need this program. So it's really what we call Robin Hood in reverse. It's taking from the poor to give to the rich. Um, it's really, it's, um, it's a exact opposite of how, how it's sold. And it can really, it's got it's some devastating impacts to, uh, to women and to low-income workers. And unfortunately, this is one of those policy issues. It sounds great by the name. It sounds great on paper. But then when you get into the details, you realize things like that, which is that this negatively impacts low-income workers. And the question I have for you is that it, it also supposes that business and employers are going to treat their employees poorly. But the reality is, isn't the reality that most businesses, the reason they have benefits to begin with is that they're competing for good employees. They're competing against other businesses who also need workers. Isn't it the case that having these negotiating tools about sick time and maternity leave and vacation pay is, is, are these contracts that both employers and employees can enter into and employers aren't the bad guys in this? Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and frankly, you know, it is one of those, um, we have a, we, we hear a lot of, in America about, you know, diversity and we recognize that there's a diversity of people, of how people, um, what they want, how they prefer to work and live their lives. And that's a great thing. We're supposed to appreciate that not everyone is, um, has, you know, 2.2 kids and wants the same things. Um, but we're trying to structure our leave programs based on this idea that Everybody's going to want the same things when it comes to time off, um, and every you know, ev- everyone's going to want to re- the structure, especially when it comes to things like maternity leave, how they um, come back to work and the time they take off from work, as if we are all cookie cutter stepboard wives, and that's and that's obviously not how it how it works. And you're right, you know, a lot of employers out there, most employers, obviously, there's obviously there's some bad apples, and there's some companies that. Um, uh, that could do more for their workers, and um, uh, but the vast majority of, of employers are trying they, because they have to because of the free market because they need it they need valued uh, workers or else these workers will go elsewhere are trying to keep and attract um, valued employees so they offer things like benefits they find ways um, ways to help people transition back and again you know I feel like. A lot of people, when, I, when I'm talking about this, I, I want to stop and say, have you ever actually run a business? Do you know how payroll works and, <laughs> and what these, how these things work? Because, you know, again, I'm the president of Independent Women's Forum. We've got 20-some-odd women full-time on staff, and a lot of them are having babies. I've got three women who are um, expecting and will, will go on maternity leave this, this year. And, um, and they don't all want the same thing. Um, and I will work with them on the you know the time they're going to take off where they're fully off 
how they're going to transition back to work, um, you know, if they want to take longer or need more, you know, depending on the health reasons. This isn't a one-size-fits-all conversation. Um, people have different preferences. And, and, you, and yeah, it's just, it really is it's frustrating how much it can um, uh, it can it, it ends up hurting women and really trying to um, to make to take away true workplace um, flexibility, which is when workers actually have a say in the types of arrangements that they um, that they get to choose. Well, before we continue the conversation, I'd like to take a moment to highlight IWF's Champion Women Profile Series, which focuses on women across the country and world that are accomplishing amazing things. The media too often ignores their stories, but we don't. We celebrate them and we bring their stories to you. Our current profile is Representative Michelle Fishbach from Minnesota's 7th Congressional District. To check out her story, do go to IWF.org to see why she is this week's Champion Woman. And Carrie, I just want to follow up on that. You talk about flexibility, and I think flexibility is key. I think something that IWF really was ahead of the game on was working from home. I I remember when you all transitioned from a brick-and-mortar shop to having people work from home, which was perfect prep for what we're going through in COVID. (laughs) And I know a lot of the people who work for IWF, one of the reasons they do is because there is that flexibility to work from home, especially when they're mothers. So that flexibility is so key. And so what I want to know is what are the flexible options that IWF thinks needs to be there for family leave, paid family leave? What does that look like? Yeah, you know, and I do think that um, that it's, you know, when we start out talking about paid family leave, it's kind of, it reminds me of the health care debate. Um, when there was a conversation going on before Obamacare, um, there was this sense that Something had to be done, um, but then surveys consistently showed that people tended to be happy with their own health insurance and their own health care um, situation, but they were worried about about other people. Um, and there was obviously there was uh, those on our healthcare system. There's often, um, you know, a not insignificant um, portion of people who are falling through the cracks and who do need help and need a be- um, need a better system. Um, but the key is, is that you don't want to um, wipe away the entire system that's working for most people um, to help to help the um, the minority. Instead, you need to focus on finding better ways to target aid. And I really hope that's where we go with paid leave, um, because as you know, as you um, as we were discussing, uh, there's a lot of people, a lot of um, companies and um, that are voluntarily offering paid leave, and it's a growing portion, including for uh, part-time workers. So, um, uh, but, but we can find ways to target aid at those who need it. So, um, so that's, you know, I think, and there's some innovative ways, you know, at the Independent Women's Forum, um, Kristen Shapiro, one of our fellows, um, wrote a paper uh, creating an idea, proposing the idea of allowing workers to draw on their future social security benefits um, so that they could, so they could have financial support um, for the time when they um, are welcoming a baby into their home, whether it's adoption or for the birth of a child. Um, This would allow somebody, you know, if you're, you know, 30 years old and you um, don't have paid time off from work, you haven't accrued enough savings to kind of fund that time. You want to be able to take off two months following the birth of a child. Um, you could receive basically some a payment that is your future Social Security payment um, and take that now and then just delay your eligibility for Social Security to so effectively pay that back um, years down the road. And I think that's a really important concept. And um, we've been really proud that there's been a number of um, of senators and House members who have introduced this concept as legislation. And I really hope that this is something, this is just, you know, this is one of those 
ideas. It's about giving people new options, um, but it doesn't impose anything on anyone. It doesn't harm. It doesn't change the what the situation for any other worker. So if you like your situation, if you have a um, a good benefits package, this isn't going to affect you. You don't have to. This doesn't hurt your social security or impact your social security. But for people who need it, it could be a real lifeline. Um, so I think that's one one positive approach. But we could also, you know, it's interesting. We we have savings accounts, um, tax advantage savings accounts for education, um, for retirement, for health care. Um, you know, why not create something where people can save on behalf of um, paid time from work so that if you don't have paid um, paid leave, you can contribute. And then if you do have to take a time from work, you can draw upon those. That would also be something that um, that employers could contribute to. It's another way for them to provide support, um, even if they aren't able to offer workers paid leave. So those are just a couple ideas. Um, you know, one more, one other thing I think is worth um, thinking about is this idea of using the unemployment system, because in some ways, when you think about maternity leave, and um, uh, it can be seen as as, uh, as a temporary, you know, it's a temporary um, disability or something where temporarily you can't work because of this extenuating circumstance. Um, instead of a lot of women end up, um, you know, who, who lack paid leave and are um, are struggling, they may end up quitting their job and not going back entirely and end up on often on long-term government assistance. How much better if we could do something where they were temporarily received their unemployment and then was able to kind of get back on um and um, like get back to, to work after a, a certain amount of time. So that's another way, an existing program that we could that could be expanded. Again, rather than reinventing the wheel and displacing all of the employment contracts that are currently in force and that so many people think are just fine and and would prefer rather than the one size fits all government regime. Yeah, and the common thread of all these those approaches that you mentioned is that choice is involved, that people can choose what fits for them. And that is what government wants to take away, wants that one-size-fits-all approach. And so my final question for you is, when it comes to the changes that have happened in paid leave during COVID, are there current efforts to make that permanent? Do we see any legislation out there? Is this just something where it's you're, you're hearing chatter about it and we need to be prepared to fight that now? Yeah, I think this is much more in the the chatter chatter stage. Um, you know, I do think that there's um, um, there will be a, an a, attempt to extend the existing um, the provisions that were passed as a part of the CARES Act, which required um, that companies provide this um, paid leave. Uh, so that's one approach. But there's also much more bold approaches that are being considered and um, and could be considered this year. Something like the Family Act, which really would be a massive massive new tax on all workers. Um, and um, and a and a new benefit stream, which would really replace everyone's employment contract. I mean, everybody would be impacted if we passed something like the Family Act, and everyone had to start receiving their um, paid family their time off um, from government rather than from their employers. So those are both ones that are worth looking looking out for. And again, one other thing I think is important that I haven't mentioned yet is um, when we think about the the costs of this. You know, as an employer, as an employer, you know what this, um, what um, when the, when government comes in and makes it more difficult to employ someone or more expensive to employ someone, you have a, you are going to be trying your your instinct as a boss or as the person who's trying to figure out how to make payroll to hire fewer people. You want to have fewer liabilities, as fewer kind of um, you know risks 
marks and question marks as, as possible. So you're going to be using fewer workers. That will become one of the things that would happen if we do come to a, a time when, when we had a regime where everyone, you know, the Family Act would offer its, you know, people would, people would have, for many, many reasons, would have the ability to take off, I think it's either eight or, ten, or 12 weeks of, um, of work a, a year, like every year. Um, as an employer, you'd be thinking, my goodness, you know, I'm, I don't want to hire somebody if they're not going to, you know, let me see if I can make do with a few people I have or find like a contractor or find ways that I don't have to deal with this because having people disappear for months at a time would be incredibly disruptive as well as costly. So, um, so this is the kind of thing, and, and a lot of work, a lot of um, employers are going to think, think, you know, that, that woman who's got a bunch of little kids, she's more likely to take off that time. Um, and we see this in Europe, where Europe has very liberal laws when it comes to paid leave. There's a lot fewer women who are in top managerial positions than, um, than here in the United States. Um, so there are real costs to this that come in lost opportunities, especially for women. Um, so don't believe it when they tell you that this is, that they kind of sell this idea as if this is a big win for women, because there's some big downsides too. You heard it here. Don't believe it. Remember, this is bad for women. <laughs> uh, so go to read that policy focus. It's called Avoiding Paid Leave Pitfalls. You can find that on IWF.org. But for now, Carrie Lucas, president of IWF. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great. Thanks so much for having me on, Beverly. And thank you for joining us. Before you go, Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. And investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. Please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That is iwf.org backslash donate. And last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It does help. Also, we'd love it if you shared this episode and let your friends know where they can find more She Thinks episodes. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.